Good morning. So uh, today we l- we're going to continue on in Revelation. Uh, we'd like to talk about uh, what has generally been called uh, Judgment Day, uh, the Apocalypse, Armageddon. All those words are like uh, out there in the culture. Like uh, they're popular. Uh, a few years back there was a movie, more than a few Uh, There was a movie called uh, Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Uh, While it did not, it was not biblical in its nature, it pulled on biblical language of Judgment Day, uh, basically to say, hey, the robots are going to kill all the humans and it's going to be Judgment Day. Uh, In fact, you find that theme a lot in, in science fiction and other things that it's, whenever we create robots, they are tasked with the, of protecting the earth, of protecting us, and then they find the most destructive thing on earth is us, and then they go, well, logically, uh, there should be a judgment day, and these people should be judged. And so we're kind of comfortable uh, with that idea. So judgment day. The word apocalypse. There was recently an X-Men movie, a superhero movie, uh, with the bad guy named Apocalypse. Now, When we think of apocalypse, we often think of the end of the world, which the interesting thing is actually the book of Revelation, you could call it the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. So we call it the revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation and apocalypse mean the same thing. Apocalypse basically means the revealing of something. It's the unveiling of something. It doesn't, which... Usually I think of apocalypse, oh, the apocalypse is coming, which just means the end of the world is coming, destruction is coming, but actually it just means revealing. It means something's revealed. So this book that we've been going through is called The Apocalypse of Jesus Christ. It's about the revealing of a message, and essentially this book is about the revealing of who Jesus Christ is. And then another term that we often use to talk about the end of the world, about everything changing, is the word Armageddon. Now, there was also, again, very popular in our pop culture, there was a movie called Armageddon. Uh, Does anyone remember that? An asteroid comes down, is going to destroy the world, but Bruce Willis and Ben Affleck uh, fly up into space and drill into the asteroid and let off a bomb. And uh, there was a really good Aerosmith song that that went with that movie. The interesting thing about Armageddon is if you translate Armageddon from its roots in the Hebrew, it means... Mount Megiddo, or Megiddo. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. I did not do very well in Hebrew. Uh, but which you're like, wait, why is, the, why is Armageddon, which we associate with the end of the world, why is that referred to as Mount Megiddo? It's a location. It's an actual location. And guess how many times Armageddon is used in the Bible? One time. Uh, Revelation 16, 16. I'll read it for you for one second. Uh, it's talking about this giant army that's demonically inspired. And it says, and they assembled at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Which I remember when that movie came out and I had learned already that Armageddon 
doesn't mean like the end of the world. It was a location. And then I remember uh, watching that movie and the president is making an announcement that the end of the world is coming. And he said, in the Bible, it is called Armageddon. And I'm like, no, it isn't. It's not. It's not called that in the Bible. That's just the location of the final battle. So we have a lot of confusion going on about what the end of the world is going to look like. And based on all the movies we let out, we think it's pretty likely that the world's going to end in some way. And sometimes the stories we tell say, we deserve to have this world ended. And that's kind of sobering. The stories we tell are like, we deserve to be judged in some way. Now, I think sometimes in our culture, we get offended with the idea of God judging us. But it's a reality. In the passage we're going to read in Revelation chapter 19, starting in verse 11, basically plays out what we've called the Battle of Armageddon, the Apocalypse, Judgment Day. And it gives us a dramatic presentation of what that looks like. So I want you to ask, while we're working through this, what does this dramatic imagery mean for me right now? Now, we're going to look at it. It's going to help us understand the future. But what does it mean for us who are hearing it right now? I'm going to read the passage, Revelation chapter 19, uh, starting in verse 11 to the end of the chapter. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called on, called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, come gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burnt with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. It's a pretty intense passage. And it's reaching the climax of the book of Revelation. We've seen judgments, judgments, judgments all the way through. And they were often executed from heaven. And God was, was breaking seals, blowing trumpets, uh, pouring out bowls of judgment. And it's happening from heaven. But this is the point 
where the judgment comes down personally, where Christ comes down personally. And in a sense, this is the revealing of Jesus Christ. We've seen descriptions of him up to this point in multiple passages. And in this passage, you have this massive apocalypse, both a revealing to the reader who's reading it and to the armies who have gathered to wage war against God, that there is this revealing of Jesus Christ. It starts out and says, heaven opened. You just see like kind of the clouds moving sideways and opening up a space and behold a white horse. Now a white horse represents victory. It represents conquering. It represents a ruler who has defeated his enemies. And so you see the white horse appear and come galloping down out of the clouds. And then it's going to lay on description after description. And this is how apocalyptic literature works. It's going to describe over and over with imagery so you understand who this one is. Notice it's apocalyptic literature, so it's kind of uh, undercover. So uh, it's kind of dangerous uh, to the empire at the time, to the Caesars at the time, to be saying there's going to come a king who's going to come galloping down, and he's going to be riding a white horse, and all those armies are going to be defeated. So they don't say, this is Jesus. They describe him in a million different ways so you understand who he is. First, they say the one sitting on it, on the white horse, is called faithful and true. This, past, uh, this book is a call for us to be faithful in our callings before God. And the one we see coming on the clouds is faithful and true. He is faithful to what God has called him to. He is faithful to righteousness. He is faithful to justice. He is faithful to working for peace. He is faithful to God, and he is true. He is right. He is true to righteousness. And it says, and in righteousness, he judges and makes war. Now, we like to think uh, judging and making war is bad, but there are times when it is the right thing to do. It is the just thing. And if there ever were a just war it is people who have rebelled against their creator who have made them and they have wreaked havoc on the world. And it says he in righteousness judges and makes war. So often we try to make war or try to move forward and try to do the right thing and we aren't even righteous ourselves. We have brokenness and sin in us. This one, though, goes forward in righteousness. He is righteous in himself, and he can make war righteously. Verse 12, his eyes are like a flame of fire. This speaks to his, his gaze that cuts through all the mess of our world and can see rightly. He burns through all the brokenness and the chaff and all the, the stubble that gets in our way so that we can't understand. Uh, think about uh, this election. 
you see different stories pop up on, on your Facebook timeline, you don't know what to think. You don't know which person's right. You don't know which story is fabricated. You don't know uh, what the right choice is always. But when he has eyes that are a flame of fire, he cuts through all that. He can see it clearly. He knows what is right and what is wrong. He sees through deception and crookedness and, and bragging and all that. He sees through it and he sees it with eyes of fire. And it says, on his head are many diadems. Diadems means crowns. He has these crowns on his head. And it's not just one crown. He doesn't just have one title. He doesn't just have one territory. He has many crowns. This one, as we're going to see described, is the king of kings and the lord of lords. So no matter what territory you go to, this one riding the white horse is the ruler of that territory. No matter what parcel of land you live on, he's got a crown for that. His crown, there are crowns upon crowns upon crowns, and he rules over all that. He has many titles, many lands that he rules over. And it says he has a name written that no one knows but himself, which is kind of mysterious. Earlier on in the past, in the book of Revelations, it says he gives them a stone with a name that no one else knows. And here it says that he has a name that no one knows, which is an apocalyptic way of saying that you don't fully understand him. You can't. You don't comprehend him in all his fullness. You don't understand the depths of his justice and righteousness and love. You don't understand all that he is, but he's coming on a white horse. And one day we will see him as he is, but no one knows his name. Verse 13, he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. This speaks to the fact that he is coming to make war the blood is the blood of his enemies. Again, I think we are uncomfortable with that, but we need to step back and we don't make a Jesus of our own making that makes us comfortable in our heads, but we look and allow, himself, allow Jesus to be revealed to us so that we don't determine who he is. But this passage says, this is who he is. And it says, in the name by which he is called is the word of God. Now, if you go back to uh, the book of John, you'll see in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. This is a title for Jesus. It speaks of the one who spoke the world into existence, the one who took on flesh and dwelt and lived among us. And there's coming a day where that word will put an end to the darkness to the pain, to the sin, to the death, to the suffering, to the rebellion. And that day will come. He speaks a word and the world comes into existence. He takes on flesh and dwells among us and we are waiting for the day when he will speak that word, he will be that word, and he will put an end to the nonsense. Verse 14, and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. 
You know who that is? That's us. That is us. That is you. If you know Christ, if you have confessed your allegiance to him, if you have faith in him and have repented of your sins and have called on his name, there will come a day where he is going to war and there will be a crowd that no one can number on white horses and fine linen following him. And that will be you if you know him. Continuing on in verse 15, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which, uh, he stri- which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. Which is a strange image, isn't it? Like out of a mouth comes a sword. We saw this earlier on in chapter 1. Uh, if, you, if you Google uh, Revelation and do image searches of it, lots of people draw lots of pictures about what this looks like. And it's always like, that doesn't look quite right, a sword coming out of someone's mouth. Uh, but the nature of apocalyptic literature is it's going to give you these pictures that are supposed to tell you something else. It's not saying literally Jesus comes and then he's going to speak and like a sword comes out of his mouth. Like that's not what this is trying to do. It is speaking of the power of his words. Notice that when he comes back, when Armageddon happens, when the apocalypse happens, when judgment day happens, he's not going to war like all those people behind him don't need their swords. They aren't, they aren't cutting anything. They, they aren't doing anything. Jesus, all he needs to do is speak a word. And it ends. Just as he spoke a word and brought the world into existence. So we are longing. We are waiting. We are hoping for a day when Christ will return and end the darkness and the rebellion and the suffering and death once and for all. And it says he will strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. It pulls from language in the Old Testament. And this is key. This is the longing of every human heart. We long for someone to rule and to reign in justice and righteousness and deal with us and deal with the people around us. I think this current election season has brought out a lot of those longings. You look around and you're like, okay, we got, we got a crooked person over here. We got another crooked person over here. We got a liar over here. We got a liar over there. We got someone who is interested uh, in injustice and unrighteousness and another person, oh, interested in injustice and in unrighteousness. We don't know which way to turn. And so the question I have to ask is what is God trying to do in us in the midst of this election? Now, I'm not talking about what God wants you to do. That's a whole nother conversation. But what is God trying to do in us through this election as people who follow him and declare him as Lord? And here is what I'm convinced of. That God is trying to create a longing for himself in us through this. 
We often like to think politics will give us hope, that politics will fix our problem, that we just need to vote and then things will all work out. And God's put us in a situation where we're like, I don't think there is a way out of this one. I don't think this is going to work out. I don't know if there's a right choice to make. People say, choose between the lesser of two evils. And what God is trying to do in your heart is to tell you to choose him. To long for him. To long for this picture of a judge who has come to righteously rule and to reign and to do away with pain and darkness. In fact, our politics and government are going to confound us. They're going to frustrate us. They're going to disappoint us. And that is somewhat the point. Because in our world, you won't find what you're looking for because this is not the world you were made for, this darkness. And that's the point of Judgment Day, that the world you live in that's normal for you with liars and thieves and death and suffering and sickness, that's not the world that we were meant to live in. And that's the point of Jesus coming back, that Jesus comes back because we live in a world that is normal to us, but he knows it's not normal. So imagine with me, sometimes this happens to me, that I'm scrolling through Facebook, and if you follow local news, sometimes they share like uh, national news stuff that goes on. And sometimes these stories, they just find like the worst possible horrifying crime that's ever been committed. And even though that doesn't relate to where we live whatsoever, the local news story will share that story. And it's horrifying. Uh, children uh, being killed or whatever. Like, they're just too horrible to speak about. But they say, this is a really horrifying story. I'm going to share this on our local news Facebook. And then you come across that and you're like, whoa, I did not need to see that today. And you are filled with wrath and sadness and anger and frustration. And it's... You feel that in that moment when you read that story. Now imagine God who sees every single heinous act that's ever been committed, that sees every thought that is destructive and sees every mistreatment of an image bearer of him. Now imagine seeing that through all history and we can understand a little bit why Wrath is necessary. It says he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. We want justice. We want what's right. And we long for someone to come and make things right. And it says he is the king of kings and lord of lords. So your supreme allegiance through all of those difficulties is Jesus himself. It's Jesus. Now, whoever you're going to vote for, that's who you're voting for. But in your heart, you must declare that Jesus is Lord and that defines how you live, that defines what your longings are, that defines what your hopes are. It defines how you take on this life and see the world around you, that this revelation of Jesus Christ as the one who will come 
on victory on a horse who says one word and it's over. Now the difficulty for us now is that we wait in the darkness, we wait in the storm, we wait in the silence, we wait in this in-between period, which the Bible says is lasting this long because God desires people to come to repentance. So I'm going to say to you, if you're here and this election and the craziness that's going on has made you begin to long for something more, begin to say there is something more to this life, and you're hearing about this Jesus Christ who will judge the world, you're saying, I'm not sure where I'll be. I call you to look to Jesus. He is our hope. He is our, he is our life. He is our joy. Because the longings in your heart point towards him. I'd like to point out the question I asked beforehand, what does this have to do with how we live now? And so the question is, if you are engaged in a battle, which we all are, there's darkness and there's light in our world, and we're engaged in a battle, in Christ is going to come back. And this battle that we are in now is going to end with one word. All evil will be wiped out. All evil will be finished at that point with one word. How does that affect how you live right now if you are engaged in that battle? I'll tell you what I see is that it would give us courage. Because sometimes when we're in the darkness and we're in this world, we're like, I don't know how this thing's going to go. Uh, light could win, dark could win. I don't know. I don't know in what direction our country's going to go. I don't know uh, how this relationship's going to go as we engage with people around us. But to know that the battle ends with one word and our King of Kings and Lord of Lords comes down and wipes out evil, it should give us courage. It should embolden us because what's the worst that can happen? You're going to win. In the end, you will be vindicated. So you can endure suffering because there's coming a day where Christ will vindicate you and say, you were right about me. I am the one who is faithful and true. You can endure mocking because there's coming a day where you will come back with Christ in victory. You can give up comfort for the sake of the gospel because there's coming a day where you will come in victory with Christ and all evil will be wiped out. And he is calling you to faithful witness. That's what the whole book of Revelation is about. How can you be faithful in the midst of the darkness? How can you be faithful in the midst of the pain? And so often we think success and victory means getting a bigger house, getting a bigger bank account. And in fact, we rank our value on that. But the gospel of Jesus Christ flips that on its head because we follow a Savior who was crucified, who lived in poverty. But he rose again the third day. And so we follow him in that suffering. Revelation is about suffering and being a faithful witness in the midst of the pain. Christians are attracted to wherever the pain is. We're like, where is the suffering? Where is the pain? Where is the hurting? That's where Jesus calls you to go. So whether that's a neighbor, 
whether that's someone in your neighborhood, whether that's a relative, whether that's a friend, whether, whether it's kids in need of a home, whether it's people who are homeless, whether it's people who are suffering and just can't make it and they're having a tough time, Jesus is calling you to be a faithful witness to the Lord who loves the poor, who speaks good news to them, who speaks good news to the broken, who brings healing in the midst of suffering. You aren't going to be able to make it to the new world in this life. You won't be able to escape uh, the darkness and the suffering and the pain in this life. To tell you uh, that, to tell you that you could escape that in this life would be a pretty nice message, wouldn't it? You'd be like, yes, I love it. But that's not true. I'd be a liar. You aren't going to escape it. But faithful witness, there's going to come a day where resurrection happens, where the new earth happens, which we'll see in uh, uh, chapter 21 and 22, uh, the true climax of this book. You're called to faithful witness in the midst of the difficulty. But we can do that. Christ is going to come back and defeat the darkness with one word. One word. And then it will all be over. We can have courage. We can go forward without fear. So often we're afraid of what people might think of us. How, how does that matter when this whole thing will end, when the King of kings and Lord of lords will come and gather you to himself and you will live with him forever? Oh, so that person thinks you're a little weird because you like Jesus? Like, things are going to be a little awkward when Jesus comes back and they still think it's weird. The power of the gospel is that it gives us courage right now. We can live without fear. There's a scene in the movie, uh, The Two Towers, uh, which is the Lord of the Rings movie, and I would love to play that scene for you, but it's like five minutes, and that would be a little self-serving because I really like that scene. So I'll just explain it to you quickly. So, if you're not familiar, like Lord of the Rings is like one of those fantasy things with orcs and elves and dwarves and swords and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's pretty good. Uh, someone in this church told me Two Towers was not the best of the movies, but it is. Uh, so, uh, so you can go tell Becky Yule when she gets out of, of back there that The Two Towers is clearly the best of those three films. Uh, but anyway, in the climax of this movie, uh, the heroes are battling against this army of darkness, of these ugly orcs, uh, and uh, they've been fighting through the entire night, and they are getting closed in on. They keep getting backed up, back up into their fortress until they're just locked up in this back room, and, and they're closed off, and there's just a few of them left, and they don't know what to do. And one of the kings at that point says, what can men do against such reckless hate? Which I feel like is a very powerful phrase in our world. We see hate and evil flourishing, and we wonder, what could I do against that? So he says that, and then they're debating what to do. And then they remember that the character Gandalf uh, said he was going to come that morning at daylight. And they see in the window that the daylight is coming. And he says, look for my coming. And then one of the characters goes, he sees that and he says, ride out with me. He remembers that 
there is someone coming that's going to set things right. And he says, ride out with me. So they all mount up on their horses and their fortress is completely surrounded. And they ride out on these horses uh, doing, doing the sword thing, you know, to, to all the orcs there. And they're going through. And then suddenly, up on the hill, a white horse. Now, it's Gandalf on a white horse. Sun is shining over there. I remember when I saw this in the theater, I think it was a midnight showing, someone did yell out, it's Jesus! So, but really, if you have this passage in mind, you go, there's some imagery going on there that brings you back to this passage. That there is this hero on a white horse and then he comes stampeding down the hill with just tons of soldiers on horses and the battle is won. What really got me thinking is that what caused them to be so bold, so courageous, to go out without fear and to go blasting through those doors and to go to battle because they knew someone was coming. They knew that victory was at hand. When the day starts to shine, they knew there was hope. So when we hear Christ promise that I am coming, and in 1 John, it says the day is already shining, that means the new world is already coming. We may not always see it, we may only see the darkness, but we can have courage to go. So I'm calling you to join me, and let's ride out. Let's go. What does that look like? It looks like us being faithful witnesses as we speak the words of who Jesus is. It looks like us <clears throat> caring for the broken and the needing, going to the places where our cities and our neighborhoods and our schools and our workplaces are in pain and speaking words of comfort. It means not being so fearful what people will think, but instead being faithful to what Jesus has called us to. So I'm calling you, let's ride out together. Let's mount our horses and go. Let's, let's reach our neighborhoods. Let's reach our social networks for Christ. Let's speak out without fear for things that Jesus cares about. Whether that be justice issues, whether that be uh, the broken and the hurting, let's be bold. Let's be courageous. Jesus is coming. There's coming a day where he will set all things right. So let's get started right now. The day is already shining. Jesus comes that full day and it's already shining. So we need to go. If you remember back in the first part of Revelation chapter 19, uh, the key point in that is they said, blessed is the one who is invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Basically, it's saying Jesus is coming back and there is going to be the most epic wedding feast ever. We talked about that last week, that there is this wedding feast beyond all compare in which the joy of the bride, which is us, gets to join up with the groom, which is Jesus, and we get to dance the night away. And it's a beautiful picture. Well, there's always a flip side. With salvation, there is also the reality of judgment. And notice in verse 17, it says, I saw an angel 
standing in the sun, and with a loud voice, he called to all the birds and, and that fly directly overhead, come gather for the great supper of God. Which is kind of gruesome. But it's the flip side of what the marriage supper of the Lamb so you have two suppers in chapter 19. You have, you have the supper, which is full of joy and celebration and dancing and feasting and laughter. And then you have another supper in which an angel invites birds to feast on the flesh of the enemies of God. It's not pleasant. It's the passage that if we were picking and choosing passages, we might want to skip over it. But it, it is the reality of judgment. There are two suppers, and the question is, which supper will you be invited to? You're invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb, those who have trusted Christ, who have declared him Lord, who he has worked in their hearts and created a, a new heart, to trust him and believe in him. And then there's the parody of a supper in which an angel invites the birds. And here's what I want to say. This is a reality in our world that judgment is coming. There is salvation, but there is also judgment. And this is important for two reasons. One, you need to concern yourself with where you are heading. Are you heading for salvation or judgment? It's not based on anything you've done. It's based on what Christ has done for you. He has died for you. He offers forgiveness. Those who are pardoned are welcome to the feast of the Lamb. Well, the reality is those who do not repent, those who do not trust Christ, are headed for judgment. And the image in this passage is pretty brutal. And then also, after you consider yourself, the other thing to consider is that the people in your life, it is your calling to be a faithful witness to them, to tell them of Christ's saving power to tell them of the king of kings and lord of lords who will come back and change this world and will set it right who will bring justice and righteousness it's an essential message and the the theme of revelation is that you are called to faithful witness so let me ask you are you and here, here's the churchy word. Are you evangelizing? Evangelizing, basically, it comes from the root word good news. Are you telling the good news? Now, we're awesome at being good neighbors. We're awesome at being the nicest people on the block most of the time. Uh, we're awesome at being missional. But essential to the mission is faithful witness with your words. And that's why courage is important, because I think that scares us, doesn't it? I know it can scare me at times. 
But I find once you do it, once you have that courage, the Spirit empowers you. The Spirit, once you step out and say, I'm going to try and pray for open doors to share about Jesus and the hope he gives me, those open doors will come and then you'll step through them and you'll suddenly be empowered. Maybe you don't feel empowered in your faith because you never stepped through those doors. Because God promises his spirit will give you the words to speak. So we're so afraid, oh no, I don't know what I'm going to say. Well, if you step through that door, I bet you God will give you the words to say. And it doesn't need to be perfect, but God's power will work in you. So if judgment day isn't a reality, if this apocalypse is going to happen in which Jesus Christ will be revealed as the true king of kings and lord of lords, we believe that's the reality right now. We believe he is the king of kings and lord of lords. We're just waiting for him to reveal himself. So we're a part of that kingdom. So what you're calling is, is just invite people to the wedding party. Just invite people to the feast. And that's why we love the idea of open tables. Open tables are meals that are just preludes to the wedding feast. Because as we gather, we, anyone is invited. Come join us. Be a part of the family. Enjoy. So I'm calling you to join me in arms, to be faithful witnesses, to go out with courage and be that faithful witness that Revelation calls us to. And in light of the fact that this is going to end with one word, where our King of Kings and Lord of Lords sets things right, we have nothing to fear. We can have courage and boldness to do the right thing, to speak out for justice and righteousness, and most of all, speak the name of Jesus who all our longings are directed towards. All the longings of our hearts are for Jesus. And when we can't find ourselves at home till we find ourselves in him. So if you have all of these longings and you are unsatisfied in life, look to Jesus and he will bring things into alignment. He will draw you close to him and he will give you purpose and joy. And he's calling on you to be a faithful witness.